All right, so we're going to continue going through our sermon series, which has been titled The Real Jesus, all right? And we've been studying out the book of Luke, and we made a lot of observations about Jesus. You know, we've seen that Jesus is not religious, but righteous, that Jesus is a world changer, and he challenges our worldviews. Last week, we learned about how Jesus has real expectations for all of us here in this room. And we also have been having a communal prayer for the church weekly. Last week, we prayed that our church to carry our cross and hold to Jesus' expectations for us. And now, uh, this week, we're going to talk about the real Jesus, how to be. Okay. You guys are probably like, the real Jesus, how to be. Daniel, doesn't make sense. Just be how to be the real Jesus. Okay, well, guess what? I'm sorry. I just graduated college, right? I'm a criminal justice major. We didn't really have much English class here. But before I dive in, I just want to ask you all, what do you value? All right. What do you value? I forgot I had a slide there. All right. For some of us in this room, we may value our kids. We may value school. We may value work. And assuming that the people who are here in this room today at church, I'm assuming to an extent we value God. And now that you've been thinking about your values, we are now going to be looking at Jesus's values. So if you don't mind, let's turn our Bibles to Luke 10, 25, all right? And we'll be looking over the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan is one of the most popular parables out there. And it doesn't really matter if you are a churchgoer like yourself here or someone in the world. The Good Samaritan is a popular parable. You know, it's so popular, in fact, that sociologists refer to this story to, you know, really spur on uh, one another to motivate people to do good deeds and help the poor. And, you know, this is my criminal justice side here, but there's even a law called the Good Samaritan Law. And with that, the Good Samaritan Law is the duty to help a person who's in danger or in an emergency situation. Now, here in California, that law doesn't apply to us, so I guess we don't have to help people in need. No, I'm just kidding, guys. That's a joke. Sorry. But before we go through that, let's go to God in prayer right now. Uh, Father God, just thank you for this morning, God. Just thank you for this time. We just get to worship you, God, worship you in our singing, worship you in communion, worship you with our offering, God. Uh, God, today, God, I just pray you just uh, speak through me, God, remove me, God, and just uh, speak whatever uh, you put on my heart this morning, God. God, I really pray that you minister to each and every person here in this room this morning. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so I'm going to read verse 10 through 25, or chapter 10, 25 through 28 says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus uh, replied. Do this and you will live. So we see that a lot is happening here just in these three or four verses we just read. We have an expert in the law and Jesus. When we hear expert in the law, I don't want you guys to think about a lawyer, all right? Don't think about a lawyer who's going to defend the Good Samaritan law. No. Think about someone who studies out the Bible, who knows the Bible, who knows the truth. And it says here that on one occasion, the expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, it's interesting. Why would he stand up to test Jesus? Not only that, did he stand up to test Jesus, he asked him, how do I inherit eternal life? Now, it's, I find it very interesting that the expert asked this, because by this question, being an expert, I feel like you know the Bible already. So why are you asking Jesus, how do you inherit eternal life? You already know that. I feel like the expert here 
probably isn't even interested in learning something new. He just wants to hear what Jesus has to say, see if it aligns with his own belief here. And we see here that Jesus responded to the question with the question, pretty much. He tells the man, hey, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And then, of course, the expert, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and strength. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I know, oh, sorry. So today, sorry, we'll, we'll get two separate points that highlight the greatest commandment, these two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, all right? So we're going to continue reading, but first, I know it's kind of confusing. I know he says, love your neighbor yourself and do this. The expert asks pretty much, hey, who is my neighbor? It's a great question. We'll continue reading here in verse 3 and how Jesus responds to that question. It says here, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, uh, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man in his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after them, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, before uh, you know, we answer the question, who is our neighbor, I want to give you some context here. So Jesus speaking to the expert, he's speaking to a Jew, and a Jew were God's chosen people. And Jews believed during that time that their neighbors were other Jews, all right? So that gave them an excuse not to love the Samaritans, to love the Gentiles, to love any of them. They only want to love themselves. And I was preparing this lesson. I was kind of like, oh, of course, God's people messing up again, as always, nothing new. But then I realized for myself, I was like, oh, wait, Daniel, you may have the same heart as well. Maybe when you think of love your neighbor, Daniel, that just means loving God's people. It means loving people in this room. That's a scary thought, church. But Jesus began to speak on this issue and began to tell the story after the man asked him, who is my neighbor? And of course, Jesus tells the story of a, of a man who was walking, a Jewish man who was walking down the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, and yet he was robbed and beaten and left half to, uh, half to death. And before I break it down, I just want to show, I don't have the slide anymore, but I just want you to just imagine what this road looked like. I looked it up online, I saw a video of it. The road is literally like a hiking trail, guys. And with hiking trails, you know you can't really fit two cars on the road. So it's not a road where it's like, you know, there's a crosswalk and walk, it's not a big road, it's a hiking trail. Which means that pretty much that whenever the priest and the Levite saw this half dead man on the street, pretty much, he saw, uh, they had a close interaction with this man. Which means that, you know, they were probably this, for, uh, this much, away from the man, from me to this table here. So as they pass on the other side of the road, as the scripture said, really they had to look down on them. My side, there it is, all right. But then it says here that a Samaritan took pity on him. Okay, well the Jews don't love Samaritans, so why would the Samaritans love this Jew who's left for dead on the road? I don't know why. Hmm. I mean, you see the priests and the Levite, who are also part of the Jewish culture, you saw that they didn't even lift up one finger to help this man on the road. 
And I have two points today. And the first I want to bring up is Jesus wants us to be compassionate. You know, why does he want us to be compassionate? Because compassion is a product of our love. And if we don't have love, we don't have compassion. And compassion is not just a feeling or an idea. It requires action. You know, what good is it if the Samaritan saw this dead man and was like, oh, hey, man, I'm so sorry. You look really beat up, man. Ah, best of luck to you. Does that really help? No. I mean, I'm pretty sure the Levite and the priest had compassion. I'm pretty sure they saw him like, oh, man, I'm sorry. But the Samaritan not only had compassion, but he backed it up with action. You know, uh, sorry. And I ask you guys this. How do you lack real compassion? I think I'm saying real compassion. I'm saying real compassion in the sense of being backed up by your actions. And I feel like I can fall short in so many areas of this. You know, is it in your family, towards your coworkers, strangers on the street? So I think a more important question to ask this morning is why we lack real compassion. Is it our arrogance? Is it our pride? Our selfishness. Maybe we're too busy. Maybe we have a lack of love, lack of spirituality. And if I'm being honest here, church, I know I have no compassion at times. I lack it. And it's evident in how I love and forgive very little. I feel like it's evident in my household. You can ask my roommate at times. It can be evident in my relationship. You can ask my girlfriend. It's evident in my workplace and my friendship. And I've hurt so many people around me as a result of it. But church, I am also realizing that real compassion is not just meeting people's needs, physical needs, which I believe, church, we've been doing a great job at it. I believe in uh, meeting each other's physical needs. There's so many people here in this church that are mourning over so many losses. And to see all of us rallying up to really be there for the family, for the individual, I think we've been doing great as, as a church. Amen? However, real compassion means that we also meet the spiritual needs as well. It means that we're willing to speak the truth in love and call one another higher so that we can uh, imitate Christ better. If I can be honest here, church, I feel like we can lack compassion towards each other. You know, as a young man who wants to be zealous for God, I feel that us, church, right now, we are afraid to speak the truth to, in love to each other. For reasons I am not sure, maybe because we're afraid of confrontation, maybe because we're afraid that we're going to offend someone, maybe because, I don't know, like, it would put a strain on a relationship we feel comfortable in, or if you're like myself, it may hurt your pride. It forces you to be humble when others call you higher to the standard of God. Right. Real compassion means caring for each other's souls and eternity, and like the man here, uh, who asked the expert, who asked Jesus, you know, how do you inherit eternal life? I want that too. All of us in this room want to inherit eternal life. And we will not inherit eternal life if we are just going to be surrounded by people who just kind of tell us, you know, oh yeah, you know, it's okay, pray about it type of thing. No, I want us to call each other higher, church. Okay. Amen? And I believe we can grow in this way if we imitate Christ's example of loving our neighbor as ourselves. And we've seen here so far throughout the book of Luke that Jesus has not been falling short of this standard of loving your neighbor as yourself. I mean, we see him love the Pharisees. We see him love his own disciples. And I think one lesson that Marcel did, loving the women during this time. 
You know, Jesus expects us to be compassionate towards our neighbors. Now, I know I'm saying a lot, and you don't just wake up one morning and just be like, I'm going to be compassionate to everyone else. No, it takes time. But you can become compassionate if you are with Jesus, being with Jesus here. And I think to close out here, I want to read a scripture from uh, Luke 10, 38 through 42. And it's about Mary and Martha. And this story, guys, really is so impactful for me personally. It says here, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you even care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So we see here that Jesus was at the Lord's feet. And reading this and going through Luke, I don't know, something, uh, another thought in my mind that happened is like, wow, like, they're really worshiping the Lord's feet. And I think about it for me today. I'm like, wow, if I did that to Jesus, like, Jesus is not wearing shoes or socks. This man's walking around barefoot in dirt and everything, yet they're worshiping at his feet. As we saw the lesson uh, of previous back, we talked, seeing how the woman was crying on his feet and cleaning it with her hair. Now here we have Mary, Jesus and Mary in Martha's house, who are, or Mary's worshiping the Lord at his feet. Mary knew what was important here. She knew that Jesus was important. He was in the presence. She was in the presence of Jesus. But Jesus had to remind Martha that few things are needed, or indeed only one. And how often do you think we can imitate Martha where we get distracted by so many other things in this life right now? I have a few slides I'd like to show you some things we are distracted by. All right, this is gonna attack some of the young professionals in campus ministry. Social media, oh my goodness. I don't have social media, but I heard this statistic. Someone told us during a retreat that uh, my generation, I don't know what generation I am, but we spend over 40 hours a week on social media, just on our phone scrolling. So next time you see us stressed out, it's because we're in school and we also have a full-time job being on social media, apparently. <laughs> Another one, oh, this is big for me and some of the guys here. What about sports? Oh, man. Here are a few of the, the yeah, Michael Jordan, the Wizards. Yeah, you see where uh, I, I see him standing in the GOAT conversation. But look, we see here, sports is a big issue, I feel like, a big distraction. If you don't believe me, you can ask any soccer player here in this room or a soccer fan what they were doing in December being up at 5 a.m. Were they being with the Lord? Hey, possibly, but more than likely, they're watching the World Cup, to be honest with you guys. <laughs> What about this? Oh, what about we, ha we have this to-do list? Maybe we are waking up early, and we're like, hey, we're going to spend time with God. We're going to read our Bible. We're going to pray. But then as you're doing that, you're like, oh, wait, did I send that work email? Ooh, how's my kid doing right now? Oh, did I finish that assignment? Mm, we get distracted by other things. And, you know, I feel like we live in a society that is hurried. And I read this book last year. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and it's by Pastor John Comer. And he talks about how being busy destroyed his mental health and affected his relationship and weakened his connection to his faith. But he said by slowing down and limiting his commitments, he gained happiness and well-being in every area of his life. 
Now I want to talk about the slowing down and limiting his commitment. When he slowed down and limited his commitment, he didn't say, oh, I'm going to draw back from God. No. He said, I'm going to run towards God because all these other things in my life aren't as important because I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm going to live that out because that is a commandment that Jesus had for me. And when reading the book, I started to make connections for myself and my generation. And my generation, they struggle to pay attention for more than 10 seconds. You know what that means? I'm talking to you, campus, young professionals. That means that when I got up here and said, hi, my name is Daniel, you guys tuned out right after that. <laughs> Just kidding, I love you, campus. <laughs> but guys, think about it. Martha was no different. She was so worried and consumed with distractions that she didn't even take time to be with God in the flesh. We can be the same way. Jesus is reminding her that the most important thing is to be with him. Do you, church, have the value that being with Jesus is number one? For us to even have compassion, give to others, and build God's church must be connected to the Son. And I love how this story of Mary and Martha comes after the Good Samaritan. Because we see here that the Good Samaritan, it showed how important it was to give to our neighbors, to give to those who are in need. But this story of Martha and Mary, it shows two things to me. First one, it shows that Jesus was compassionate to Martha, that he wasn't upset that she was doing other things, all right? But I think that, uh, you know, Jesus calling responding to her. I mean, think about it. I think I have the slide. Hopefully I have the slide. Cool. I have the slide here. Uh, where is it? Oh, you literally have Martha pretty much screaming at the Lord, like, tell her to help me. I saw the exclamation point. I was like, dang, she's really screaming at Jesus right now in the presence of him. But guess what? Jesus calmly responded, being compassionate, validating her, while also, you know, lifting her up in the process. And I think for me, I want that response from you, church. I want you guys to lift me higher, to make me recognize that, wow, like what you're going through is, you know, nothing in comparison to being in the presence of the Lord. And a little side note here, uh, you know, I think that, you know, with Kyle and Jasmine, uh, our campus ministers here, they've been great. And I feel like they've been calling me higher in so many areas of my life. Quick story here, this past summer, we had a, our roommate Justice move in, and uh, where's Justice? He's up there doing AV, but uh, yeah, so Justice was moving in, and obviously our household at first, we were like being clean, we're all, you know, yeah, we're clean, we're great, and then we started lacking towards the summer when Justice started moving in. I remember Kyle, Jasmine, a few other sisters, they came into our household, and they're like, this is a mess, this is filthy, you know, get this out of here, and I start cleaning. And I remember, like, man, like, who are you guys? I, like, I woke up in, like, my home, and you're gonna start questioning like my apartment right now I was getting mad but then at the same time I realized afterwards I was like you know what they're right so we start cleaning and stuff like that and you know Justice moved in it was great obviously we didn't do a good job because his mom had to call me to clean his part of the room so we didn't do that much of a great job <laughs> but guys I want us church to you know be like that I mean I know that was like a small love but I want us to call each other out when we're in sin all right and lastly just how it's important it is to give just like the Good Samaritan, giving to this man who was dead on the road, you know, left for dead. It's important for to give. It's also important that we receive as well. You know, we give out love, we give out encouragement, but I feel like we need to receive and love the encouragement, but most of all, receive Jesus. Now, I'd like to close out here with a few action steps, action steps in prayer for the week. All right, the first action step 
I want us to take time to view scriptures about Jesus's life. And I know, you know, we've been going through it here on Sunday service, but I, you know, I hope we've been doing this uh, throughout our own times with God as well. And lastly, church, I want us to pray daily for the church to become more compassionate. Amen. Love you, church. Thank you.